Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com. And today we're going to do a teaching. This is going to be part two of yesterday's teaching called The Second is Like Unto It. The Second is Like Unto It. Now, we know that yesterday we talked about the uh, first and great commandment of the law. And we got to break down and talk about all these things concerning those who would, um, you know, love the Lord, what the benefits were and not fulfilling the first and great commandment, you know, which was something that if we don't pay attention to, then we're going to miss out on. So, um, yeah, this is the second part, which is um, the second is like unto it. And um, I think we're going to get some understanding on what this is. And as we're going to find out, the second commandment is very much like the first. And if we don't fulfill the first, we can't fulfill the second. But we got to often ask ourselves, why would God in the beginning, you know, show us his love? And it was simply because he wanted our love to be, you know, distributed or he wanted his love to be distributed, not just to him, but how to love your neighbor. Right. And when you think about that, you know, there's a lot of sinners out there that think that God is some type of egomaniac, that he's got to get all the praise, all the glory and all the honor. But the bottom line is, when you look at this situation, God is also trying to elevate us in the same love that we may have the same love towards our brother. So if anything, that really glorifies God, but it also pushes you and I up to the place of becoming children of God, which is a beautiful thing. When you think about our Lord, he's long suffering. You know, he is love, he's faith, he's peace. He's joy. He's all these magnificent things that you can only have in the spirit. So it's just amazing how he can take someone like you and I, who are wretched sinners, and, and make us children of the highest. If we obey him and partake of his spirit, then we can distribute that love to others righteously. All right. What's up, Brother Lang? How's it going? All right. So you know, let's get right in because I don't want to waste a lot of time. Let's go to Matthew 22, as we did yesterday, and let's go to verse uh, 35. Okay, Matthew 22 and 35. Okay, so you know that this is Jesus, and there's a man. Um, it says that one of them. Uh, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. This is the first and great commandment of the law, or the first and great commandment. 
Then he says, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So as you know, what we're looking at right now is about loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, and that's that's the first. We covered that yesterday. The second half is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says on those two commandments to hang all of the law and the prophets. Now I gather, and I know that this is true, that when Jesus says to fulfill all the law and the prophets, or to hang all of them on those two principles or those two commandments, then that has to be the fulfillment of the law. Why did God send his son into the world? So that he can send you and I, you know, the love that he is all about, that we can distribute it to our neighbor. That's the fulfillment. But can you believe there are people today that will try their hardest, okay, to preach a doctrine talking about we must keep the Mosaic law and we must keep the, um, you know, the, the new covenant. And they think that that's the fulfillment of the law and it's not. The fulfillment of the law is to hang everything on first, loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. On those two, he says, you know, to hang all the law and the prophets. I don't wanna keep repeating this, guys, but I want people to have some understanding that unless you fulfill the first, you won't fulfill the second. Now, there's a lot of people out there you know, that believe that they love their neighbor. Hopefully when we get through with this study, that will hold to be true. But one thing we must understand is our God is selfless and you and I need to be selfless. If we are not selfless, then we are not, we cannot serve the Lord. If you've got your best interest at heart, you cannot be a partaker in the kingdom of God because of God the Father and God the Son you know, had their best interest at heart and they only thought about themselves, you and I wouldn't be here. We had a forefather that did that once. He thought of himself and you know something, you and I are still living with that curse today that we're fighting to get through to be made righteous in God's eyes and why we have to be born again because that old gene pool was corrupt through self-seeking, you know, um, going against God and desiring the things for himself. We have to be a new creation in Christ where we consider our brethren more than ourselves. Let's go to Luke 10 and let's look at verse 17. Luke 10 and 17, and after that, I'm gonna go into prayer. But I wanna get to Luke 10 and 17 to make a few key points. And then from there, we are gonna go into prayer and we're gonna get heavy into the lesson. Oh man. And thank you for the prayers, guys. I feel so much better. I feel like my cold has passed away. It felt like it went away the moment, you know, um, the study ended. So I know that there were brothers and sisters out there praying for me. So I appreciate it greatly. Uh, Brother Jake, hey, Sister Sarah, uh, Sister Tara, how's it going? Good to hear from you guys. So this is Luke 10, 17, and it says, and the 70 returned again with joy, uh, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you 
power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, the funny thing with this is Jesus was trying to show the disciples because remember early in this chapter, he sent them out with power over unclean spirits. He sent them out with power over the devil and you know they were casting out devils and they were beginning to feel mighty. So the 70 disciples that Jesus had that he broke into twos, they came back and said, you know, master, even the demons are subject to us through your names. So they're feeling pretty mighty. And Jesus made clear to them in verse 18, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He says, rejoice not that the demons or, or their spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They began to be self-seeking and feeling mighty and becoming self-conscious of their glory. And the Lord said, hey, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was reminding them the same filthy mess that I see in Satan, I'm seeing in you. And you remember, Satan was self-seeking. Satan was worried about self. And because of that, what happened? Satan was kicked out. So the Lord is telling them, don't rejoice over the subjects being, um, over the demons being subject to you. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven and that you're doing the work of the Lord. Okay, that's what's most important is making it in, not trying to glory in self. It's giving God the glory. So he says in verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So there's a beautiful thing that the Lord is saying, thank you that you have hid the kingdom of heaven from the prudent and the wise, those proud individuals, those that were self-righteous, thought that they were something. He hid the kingdom from them because those people are already trying to be righteous by their own standards. But what he's telling them there is, you know, that he's thanking the father that he's given it unto others that are not so you know, puffed up. The way to God's kingdom is down. So that's something for you and I to recognize. The kingdom of heaven is shut to the proud, but it's open, you know, to the humble, those who understand their need for Jesus. Look at verse 22. All things are delivered to me to my of my father, and no man knoweth who the son is but the father, and who the father is but the son and he to whom the son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So Jesus is telling them to be you know, happy or rejoice that even with the old prophets and all those people that wanted to see the coming of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the law, they couldn't see it. But you see, these guys are in a privileged time period, and so are you and I, that we can be partakers of the spirit of Jesus 
Jesus Christ and truly be sons of God. Look at verse uh, verse uh, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? So, you know, the Lord was directing him back to the law, saying that the law really didn't change. It's just that we can finally live it out in the spirit, but God's word, even unto this day, still reads plain. So he says, what does it read? Look at verse 27. And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered, write this. He said, thou hast answered this right, uh, this do and thou shalt live. So Jesus was telling this man because the man obviously knew what the law was. And Jesus said, okay, well, if you do these things, then you will live. He didn't say anything about keeping the Sabbath. He didn't say anything about what day you worship. He didn't say anything about sacrificing bullocks or going up under the old Mosaic law or eating unclean or eating clean foods and all this other stuff. Now, there is something that the Bible talks about later on about not eating uh, food with blood in it, that our food should be well cooked. Okay, that's what the disciples knew later on was a part of the doctrine. But the bottom line is Jesus, make, Jesus makes it plain. If you fulfill the first and second great commandments of the law, then all you've got to do is live at that point. Why? Because that's the fulfillment of why God came to you and I. But look at this, look at verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So there's a priest from the same hometown that saw this man robbed and beaten, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast. <coughs> Excuse me. And set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, like a, like a hotel or motel, and took care of him. I'm gonna drink some water, enemies attacking. All right, so he says that he took him and had mercy on him. So this Samaritan, which was a part of what you would call like the mongrel, you know, mixed up Jews. They were kind of Jews, but they were kind of mixed Jews. Now you had a priest that was of the Israelites, looked and saw the man beaten up across the street. This Samaritan who was of another, you know, uh, group of people, saw that this, you know, Israelite was beat up and he went to take care of him, you know, regardless of them being different. 
So he says in verse 35, and on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more. When I come again, I will repay thee. Um, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor uh, unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that shewed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. So you see, it didn't matter that this guy was of another race. He still cared for his brother. And that's why I can't believe that the Hebrew Israelite doctrine is going and lasted as long as it did, because Jesus is making clear your neighbor here, okay, is anybody that is willing to have to love his neighbor. Anyone that's willing to love his neighbor and love his Lord is fulfilling the first and second great commandments of the law. It's not about your race. It's not about where you come from. Do you have the life of Jesus Christ in you that loves your neighbor, that shows selflessness? So this is something for us to think about because Jesus looked at a man of another race and understood perfectly well that man is fulfilling the will of the Lord. And what you're gonna find out is the Old Testament and the New are gonna tie together on this, that there is no dissimulation as many false doctrines today try and promote and teach. And it's not just the Hebrew Israelites, you got KKK members that believe deep down that you know the real Christians are white, or you've got these groups in Europe that believe that all the children of Israel were white and this and that, and they're all Europeans. None of that stuff matters before God. The bottom line is, are you a Jew inwardly or outwardly? Because if you're one inwardly, then you fulfill the law of the Lord, okay? When you're one outwardly, your race is not enough to save you and God doesn't care anything about it, nothing about it at all. All right, so guys, I wanna go into prayer and then we're gonna get really heavy into this teaching and you're gonna find how the Old and the New Testament come together and how we ought to love our neighbor. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come before you with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time with my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you've given us yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, that we may choose life and not death. And I pray, Lord, for the brethren that are out there, that you open their eyes, their ears, and their hearts, and that you give them understanding as to loving your neighbor, Lord, that we are to fulfill and continue in your love and continue in your joy, that we might love others, that they may also seek eternal life. Because Lord, if we're not preaching the gospel to them, if we're not telling the unsaved who you are, then it's very doubtful that we love our neighbor because the fulfillment of the law is first to love you and then to distribute that love to our neighbors, Lord. So I just pray that you give us new hearts, that you give us new minds, that you take selfishness out of the midst, that your people may have an understanding 
as to what brings you joy. And Lord, I pray that no man's heart be heard tonight, that no flesh be glorified, that but you, Lord, may get the glory and that your spirit of teaching may come upon us and give us a new understanding. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt and unbelief. I pray that the spirit of selfishness gets moved away from your people, Lord, that they may have an understanding. That spirit of racism, Lord, that it be moved away from your people because Christians are supposed to be odorless, colorless and tasteless and like water, Lord, but bringing life wherever we go, which is you in Christ Jesus. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's move on. I wanna get to, um, let's go to Exodus chapter 20 to make a point, And then we're gonna make a few Old Testament uh, points. And then we're gonna get right into the fulfillment of the law, which is to love your neighbor. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, and I wanna begin at verse 12. Now you guys remember what we talked about yesterday were the first five commandments. The first five commandments of the 10 commandments is about loving the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what they were given, okay? But man really couldn't do it because he didn't really have the Holy Ghost, but we've got the Holy Ghost today. The second five of the law is to love your neighbor. So that's what we're gonna be focusing on right now. We're gonna pick it up at verse uh, 12, okay? So this is Exodus 20. Let's look at verse 12. He says, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, some people can say, is my mother and my father my neighbor? Absolutely. And he says to honor them. Honor them is so much higher than respect. Honor them is to put them in a place that, you know, it's almost like reverential fear because, you know, the Bible tells us in um, Ephesians chapter six that um, in the beginning of it, that we are to love our parents or, or honor our parents. And he says it's the first commandment with promise, okay? Because one of the promises that the Lord is bringing forth here, that our days will be longer upon the land if we honor our parents. So God takes this very, very serious. Why? Because the family unit is supposed to be a reflection of the image of God. You've got father, you've got mother, and you've got son. I'm not calling the Holy Ghost a mother. I'm just making the point that the family unit is a reflection of the spirit of God or God's image. So Jesus never did anything aside from his father, and Jesus and his father are one. So to honor God is to honor your parents. It is to love them like you love your neighbor, but it's to hold them in very high regard. So I'm not saying you have to agree with everything that your parents say, but you know it is important that you honor them and that you love them because this is what God calls for us to do. So let's look at verse 13. He says, thou shalt not kill. 
okay? Thou shalt not commit adultery. So if you love your neighbor, you're not gonna sleep with his wife. And if you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill him, okay? This is thou shalt not steal. So you're not gonna take any possessions that belong to your neighbor. And then it says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So lying on somebody is not a victimless crime. Like you claim, you know, you might say something behind someone's back and it never gets back to them. That's still not loving your neighbor because you're defaming your neighbor before other people. And this is something that you and I need to think about. So look at verse 17, it says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So you understand here that the Lord was making it clear that you're not even supposed to be greedy after or lusting after things that belong to your neighbor, okay? To love your neighbor is to let your neighbor live and do what he needs to do, okay? God, you got a relationship with him, God will bless you also. But the thing is, is a lot of people covered after what other people have. And what does that bring about? Dissimulation, jealousy. You know, it brings about malice and hatred, things that should not be in the body of Christ because we are to be one body of one spirit connected to the Lord. All right, so I just wanted to bring that point forward that you guys can see that the last five of the 10 commandments are about loving your neighbor. Now let's get an example of someone who didn't love their neighbor. Let's go to Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four. And let's begin at verse one. Keeping all those things in mind that we talked about guys, that we just mentioned in Exodus chapter 20, watch them all play out right here in Genesis chapter four. All right, this is Genesis four, let's look at verse one. And it says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Now this can even be brought to not loving the Lord your God. I could have actually taught on this yesterday and it still would have been on point. Abel gave the Lord the firstlings of his flock. He gave the Lord his absolute best because Abel truly loved the Lord. Cain gave the Lord an offering, but you know he gave him something that he had in his group, but it wasn't his absolute best. So it really showed in Cain's heart what he really cared about the Lord. The Lord wasn't worthy of his best. That's what Cain thought. So God had respect unto Abel's offering because Abel probably gave the Lord everything he had or everything of real importance. And Cain felt like, you know, I need to keep a little bit for myself. So um, it says, but um, unto, but uh, verse six, sorry. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? 
If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, what you notice here is the Lord is telling Cain, there's no need to get angry. There's no need to get wroth. There is no need to get jealous, Cain. All you've got to do is well. He says, if you do well, will you also be accepted? So, Cain, there's no need to get upset with me, you know, or your brother. Man, all you've got to do is what is right. And that's the first and great commandment. And then he's, you know, he says, or your desire will be to you and you will rule over you. This is what you find a lot of in society today. Look at verse eight. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So as you can see, Cain became jealous of his brother. He killed his brother in rage and, and you know, in envy and jealousy because he didn't hearken unto the words of the Lord. You know what Cain's problem is? He had no desire to love God. Cain wanted to be accepted simply because he would have been the only one alive. Look at verse nine. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? So this tells you here with the very thing that Abel just, I mean, that Cain just said, when God asked Cain, who just killed his brother, okay, in a bloody rage, and the Lord said, where is your brother? He didn't say, I don't know, Lord. He says, um, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? So Cain had no love or respect towards his brother because he didn't realize that we are our brother's keeper. It is up to us to check on our brethren and see how they're doing. It is up to us to know how our brothers are, are doing in this walk and in this battle when we're sitting here dealing with the enemy. We're not dealing with the enemy alone. Do you know if your neighbor has anything to eat? Do you know if your neighbor has anything, um, you know, is, is things going right in his family, how's his health? You know, does he need fellowship? Should you be going over with him the word of God that he may grow? You see, we are our neighbor's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. And I'm gonna prove this on so many points, but David, I mean, not David, sorry, but Cain recognized, you know, God was asking him where his brother was and all he could do was get snippy with the Lord. Am I his keeper? I don't know where he is. And you know, a lot of us feel that way about our brethren today, but we need to get our hearts checked and right because we're not in this battle alone. We need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If you don't forget to brush your teeth, you should be taking care of your brother. If you don't forget to take a shower, then your brother should have a shower. If you don't forget to feed your greedy self, then you should be looking after your neighbor the same way. And I'm gonna prove this, that this is what the Lord is calling for because a selfless body is truly the body of Christ that is under him. When we stop worrying about self is when God's church is gonna get on its feet. As long as we're concerned about us and our agendas, and where we are in our lifestyle and what we make in the world and what we're storing up for ourselves, we're gonna find out that's not what God is interested in. There's a story and I believe it's Luke 18 or 19 where there was a man that was full of riches and he believed, man, in order to, I, I just keep getting more and more riches. So I'm just gonna build a bigger barn that I can store more stuff. And he said, I will say to my soul, soul, 
you are able to, you know, eat for many years and be well fed. And the Lord told him, thou fool, you don't know that your soul is, re is required in hell tonight. Okay, you guys can read that in your spare time. And he says, then whose goods will they belong to? All that stuff you store in the barn for yourself, you know, um, whose goods will they belong to once you die? You can't take any of this with you. These things are simply here to show our love towards our neighbor. That's what God is concerned about. But Cain didn't have love. And what did Cain ended up doing? Being banished from the Lord. You may as well say he received the mark of the beast. So I wanna make another point here before we go into the New Testament. Let's go into Leviticus 19 and let's look at verse one. Leviticus 19 and one. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Leviticus 19, look at verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, ye shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. Guys, look at the word holy. That's H6918. And that word means sacred, holy, holy one, a saint or set apart. So you see, when we become saints, we are separated unto God. That means we're not gonna be spotted by the world. We're going to be without spot or blemish. We're gonna live our lives after the Lord, not to partake in the ways of the world. Now, you know, in the world, might is right. In the world, you can have whatever it is you want for you. You know, seek your American dream, get what you can get for you. Love yourself, as that song is, is um, saying, is the greatest love of all. Well, I'm here to tell you that song came from hell because you love God more than anything. And then second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But that's how the world feels. The greatest love is to love you and get what you can get out of this life for you. And that is not the heart of God. The heart of God is to love God more than anything with every ounce of your being and to love your neighbor like you love you. That means your neighbor should not be lacking. Okay, so anyway, he says in verse three, ye shall fear every man, his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. What is he doing? He's reminding them of the first and great commandment of the law. Look at verse five. And if ye offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, ye shall offer it at your own will. So what is this? In order for us, even today concerning the gospel to come to the Lord, we have to come as a free will offering. No one can make you and I do this. No one can push you up to the, to the altar. You can't do an infant baptism and believe that that child is gonna be saved. You've got to come to God as a peace offering in your own, on your own accord. Okay, it's got to be of your own free will. Look at verse six. It shall be eaten the same day ye offer it. And on the morrow, if ye ought remain until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable, it shall not be accepted. So he was teaching them cleanness. 
Therefore, everyone that eateth it shall bear his iniquity, because he hath profaned the hollow thing of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. So that's where we get the term today, cornering the market. You got a lot of people in the world, the rich, they love to take every every piece of valuable, you know, metal or, you know, commodity or whatever foods and crops and agricultural things. They want to own it all. God is saying that when the harvest reaps, don't just rake in all you can for yourself. Leave for the poor and the stranger. Now, the poor in this case would have been those who couldn't afford crops and things. And then there's the stranger who would have what you would have considered today a foreigner, like a Gentile or like an unbeliever. Okay, or someone from another tribe. He's saying, don't take it all for yourself. Leave also for your brother. But as you guys can see, the world is not like this. The world is about grab all you can get and let everybody else fend for themselves. That's why Satan is the God of this world because that world spirit is not the spirit of God. Look at verse 11. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another, and ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord, I mean, of, of, the, of thy God, I am the Lord. So he's teaching them again how to love him and be righteous. And look at verse um, 13. Then he says, thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. So we're not supposed to be trying to take things that don't belong to us. But as a culture, as a society today, you see these things all the time, defrauding people. I mean, look at how the, t the scales are balanced today. This government don't love you. This government will tell you that, you know, you have to pay a mortgage, which means tax unto death, you know, or, or agreement unto death. And then when you die, you still got, or you paid that off, you got to pay the taxes on it. You know, cars, if they're not, you know, if you don't pay the insurance, I mean, there's always a hidden clause in this world that you can never truly own anything because this world doesn't love its neighbor. This world is about what it can get out of you. That's why we truly, truly live in a matrix and not what God is calling us to be like. It says in verse 14, thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God, I am the Lord. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. So as you can see, guys, this is the holiness and the goodness of God that if we truly judge, if we truly love our neighbor, we're gonna judge situations righteously. We're not gonna favor somebody just because they're our cousin or our brother or our mother or father or friends, or even if they're poor, because you know you got some people out there, they hate the rich and they love the poor, 
So they they talk negative about the rich or will steal from the rich and give to the poor. God is saying that's not okay either. You have to judge righteously. You cannot be a respecter of persons with God. And in order to truly love your neighbor as the Lord commands us to, you cannot be a respecter of persons. You've got to judge every situation righteously. And the way to do that is with the word of God, which our court system has gotten away from. That's why you're seeing all kinds of craziness today. Look at verse 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. So you're not going to be favoring to kill anybody, and you're not going to be talking or telling secrets and talking behind somebody's back. That's not what God is calling for either. Why? Because it defames the, the, your neighbor. Look at verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. Uh, yeah, rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So if you guys notice, God hasn't changed. Our God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. We've got to be righteous towards people. Even if you don't even say anything to anyone, but you feel bad in your heart towards that individual, that's still sinful. Because that's why you, now you guys are getting an understanding why Jesus said in Matthew 5, that if you have ought against your brother, or if you've got anger in your heart towards your brother, that you've already committed murder. You've already done that if you hate your brother without a cause. Because all of these sins, which are murder and adultery and, you know, fornication and lying on, on people and talking about people, these things don't come from the act of them actually happening. It comes from the heart, the very iniquity within. Those things that we have that you and I should not be feeling, okay? We should be going after the things that God calls us to, that we might be the children of God. So I just wanted to bring that point forward that we get some understanding why Jesus said what he said. Now let's compare this. Let's go to Matthew 5 and let's look at verse 17. Matthew 5 and 17. Now I'm going to prove to you that this is the fulfillment of the law. I know a lot of people try and tell you a bunch of stuff. Well, unless you keep the Sabbath, uh, if you got any pork in your diet, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. And all, I mean, so much garbage. Unless you're circumcised, you're not going to have this or that. But that ain't what that Bible says. Now, guys, let's compare the Old Testament with the New. This is what the Bible calls rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, so this is um, Matthew 5, look at verse 17. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, um, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So some people would say, well, it looks like he means for the law to be fulfilled. But look at the things that Jesus says right after this 
it falls right in line with the old covenant. He says, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what was the problem with the Pharisees? They were law keepers. They were those who believed in the old Mosaic law. They didn't have time for Jesus Christ, okay? And they also believed that through law, they would be made righteous. But God doesn't use laws to make you and I righteous. God uses his spirit to make you and I righteous. They couldn't keep the law fully then. You and I can't keep it today. All we've got to do is compare this to Sharia law, where it makes clear that if you steal, they cut your hand off or they do whatever. But you see, it doesn't stop you from being a thief in your heart. You see, God meant for the words or the tables of the old covenant to be written in our hearts. So that way we could do what God wants us to do by nature, not because of laws, okay? We couldn't have the nature of Christ until we become born again and we become partakers of the spirit. So it's not so much of thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. You don't want to do it because it's not in your nature. Could I go out to a club? Could I go and fornicate? Could I go and commit adultery and do all these things? Absolutely, but guess what? You know, yeah, I would pay a price for that, but here's the thing. I don't do those things because I don't want to. I want the nature of Jesus Christ. I want to be like Christ. To think of those very things makes me sick. So you see, it's not the laws themselves. It's the spirit that allows you to be like Christ. And the only way you and I are going to love our neighbor righteously is with the spirit. God wrote his law here and he told his people all the do's and don'ts. But guess what? They did it anyhow. You know why? Because they had a nature that was against God. And that's why the Bible says the law was only a schoolmaster to get you and I to the place of having the spirit of God so that we could be like Christ, not just reading about him. Okay, so that's important for us to get down. Without the spirit of God, you and I cannot be like Christ, no matter what laws are written. So anyway, it says, um, look at verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, uh, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So it's not so much about killing someone in this case. He's saying, but I say to you, if you've even feeling that way in your heart toward your brother, you're already a murderer. And we're going to cover this and we're going to make this all make sense. But you see, if you guys haven't heard that teaching I did about four months ago, it's called sin, iniquity, transgression, and wickedness. If you guys get a chance, look it up. But it's going to break down each and every one of those, what they mean. 
But that's why the Bible tells us it's not the things that cometh out of a man, I mean, or the things that go into a man that defile him, but the things that come out, the things that are in our very hearts. Those things we need to check. When we don't like people for a certain reason, we need to really, you know, ponder that and figure out why. Because it's not in God's will for you to hate anybody or envy anybody or mean someone harm. So when we feel that way in our hearts, we need to get our hearts checked because the Lord is saying, you're already a murderer if you feel that way in your heart towards someone. So when Jesus says, when I say unto you, the Lord is elevating himself above the old covenant. He's telling you that you need a new nature because of course this can't be kept in the flesh. So anyway, he says in verse 23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So what is the Lord telling us here? We can't even keep the first commandment. You know, that's not good enough for God to love him with all your heart. If you have ought against your brother, then there's a broken link in this chain. You need to go make it right with him and then you come to me where you and I can actually talk and be together and, and make it right. Because the Lord is making it clear here, if you've got a problem with your brother, then you've got a problem with me. You can't come before me in a, in a corrupt heart or a heart that has ill will towards his neighbor, and then you wanna come to me and be right. You can't do that. So you see, our God is no respecter of persons. He tells you, yeah, leave your gift here, Go make it right with your brother, and then I will receive your gift. Man, what a God. He could be so into himself and just say, yeah, as long as you love me, that's all that matters. But that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for righteous people. He's looking for people that will reflect his glory and his spirit, that they will abstain from all appearance of evil and will hearken unto the voice of the Lord. That's what God is looking for. Guys, let's go all the way down because you know this is about marriage, divorce, all these different things. But I just wanted to make a point that we may understand why the Lord is calling us to do these things. So I just want to get down there. Um, let's see. Uh, look at verse 43. So let's look at Matthew uh, 5 and look at verse 43. He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. But if we love them which love you, or if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? So Jesus is saying, how can that be any good if you love those who love you? God wants you to even love your enemies and pray for them because you know something? Without the love of God being distributed to them, these people can't be saved. So you see a lot of us carefully select who we wanna you know, uh, preach the gospel to, 
but that's not of the spirit of God. We have to preach the gospel to every creature, just like Jesus says, if we love our neighbor, Oh man, so look at verse 47. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Uh, do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So as you can see, guys, this thing is holy about God. This thing is about us becoming children of the highest, being like God. So some people may say, man, it's hard to love my enemy. But you got to understand that that's the love that is in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ stands for. That's what God the Father stands for. If you can't love your neighbor, you can't partake in the nature of God. But to love your neighbor is to be like God. He says that, you know, he pours his son on the just and the unrighteous, and he pours his um, the rain on the just and the unjust. God sees to it that no one lacks because God loves all, but he wants us to understand and love him that we can be his children. That's what this whole thing is about. So let's move on. Amen, Sister Sarah. Sarah says you can compare the just and the unjust, just like that which Judas was given. You know, the Lord knew that Judas was a son of perdition, but he still gave Judas a chance that Judas could have eternal life. Great point, Sarah. All right, so let's move on. I want to go to, um, let's go to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And if you guys have any questions, any comments, leave them down there in the search box. Like I said, you know, this is no different than any other Bible study we have with the ministry. If you guys want to interact, I'm okay with that because of the fact that, you know, we all need edification. We all need learning, you know? It was a great point that our sister Sarah brought up that was relevant to the study tonight. So, you know, guys, feel free. All right, so this is Philippians 2. Let's look at verse one. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So we understand with Paul, when he's talking about the body of Christ, we all need to be of one accord and of one mind, okay? Then he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, that's seeking your own vanity, your own glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now you understand why Jesus told those 70 disciples when they were proud over having victory over demons that the Lord said, hey, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't rejoice in those little personal victories. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven, okay? But he tells them here, you know, um, Let's see, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So it says back in verse three, to be in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So what's being commanded here is that we um, take care of our neighbors better than we will ourselves. Can you guys imagine that? Well, that's the heart of God. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe will not perish, but have eternal life. So God had to give his own son for you and I. That's how we ought to be towards the brethren, okay? This gives you an idea of how far our hearts are away from loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul and loving our neighbor. Look at verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. So Jesus and Jesus himself is God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus, who was the son of God, you know, made himself of no reputation and came down in the form of a servant to show you and I how to be. What was Jesus being? Our example. So that we can be the same way for the brethren or those who are less fortunate, those who are not as knowledgeable of the word of God or how to be saved. That's what we're supposed to be there at for their disposal that these people may be elevated. You know, how do you grow? You stand on your brother's shoulders. I hate to say that when the Bible says Jesus is our foundation, but he is also the chief cornerstone, we must understand that we all stand on the back of Jesus Christ. Without him, you and I wouldn't make it. And see, some people love to get credit for their own ministry, their own ministry work, everything that they learn, everything that the Lord has revealed to them. But you know what I'm learning? I stand on the backs of all those men that studied for 50, 60 years, all those men like Paul and so many others that sacrificed themselves so that you and I could get the gospel. They loved God and they loved their neighbor enough, even the brethren in the Reformation, that they died to preserve this word, to have it translated, even though it was outlawed at its time. You see how God does things with the selfish church? But imagine if the church was selfish. Selfish. Imagine if the church back then was as cowardice as you and I are today. You see what would happen? We would find ourselves being silent for the sake of self-preservation. But what God is looking for are those who love him and love his neighbor enough, no matter what danger they have to face to get the job done in Christ. That's what this thing is about, selflessness. So Jesus being fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise ye the Lord. He came down to show you and I how this ought to be. If Jesus ever spent one day thinking about himself, you and I would not be here. The wrath of God would have fallen down on you and I, and we would have gone to hell. So at the name of Jesus, we should all bow and every tongue should confess that our Jesus is Lord 
And because of that, that's the glory of God the Father. The work that Jesus did is the glory of God the Father. And that's why if we do what Jesus tells us to do, and we love our neighbor the way that we're supposed to love them, then we will also glory our Lord and Savior and our Father, which is in heaven. That's what this is about, guys. That's what this is about. So it says in verse 12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So when we obey God, it's in him, both to will and to do in his pleasure. We should be subject to the Lord that our God can be glorified. If, if that doesn't sound good to you, then you need to get you out of you. It's the you that's in the church or the I that's in the church that needs to be moved from the church because our God thought highly of us. Abraham thought highly of God that he was ready to sacrifice his own son. But the Lord tested him just to say, Abraham, now I know you won't withhold anything from me. But look at us today. And I'm not trying to put us down, guys. I'm trying to give us understanding of the heart of God and where we need to strive to be. But if Abraham didn't even think about his own son, okay, and glorifying God, how can you and I hold a job before him? Hold a few bucks in our pocket, a car, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's just, man, we're so far away from where we need to be. So the, the key here is what we talked about yesterday, to spend time with the Lord. Love the Lord with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor. On those two commandments, like he said, hold, I mean, you know, you can hang all the law and the prophets. So he says, look at verse 14, uh, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So God wants us to be lights in the world amongst a crooked and perverse nation. God needs his church. He needs his church to stand up and proclaim Christ that souls may get saved holding forth of the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice of service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. So Paul says, if he's got to be offered and sacrificed up, it doesn't matter. He joys for the church, for those who need to be saved. Look at 18. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath reserved with me in the gospel. 
So he says, everybody seeks their own. Paul has to send Timothy because everybody's seeking their own. God cannot do anything through a church that does not love his neighbor, that does not, that, that seeks his own. God needs a selfless church to get a job done. Let's go to 1 John chapter three, guys. 1 John chapter three. I love the word of God. Sarah says, and Satan knew uh, that lies over lies over years would make it popular. Yep, and a scapegoat. Yep, she's absolutely right. You know, and that's something that we've got to be made aware of are the lies and the tricks of the devil. Let's look at 1 John 3, guys. Let's find out how much we love our neighbor. 1 John 3, let's look at verse 1. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So you truly know you're a son of God if the world turns on you and doesn't know you. Why? Because they treated your Lord and Savior the exact same way. Also, I wanted to bring up a point that I was making. There were men that came before us that studied for all these years. And a lot of the, the revelation and the study that they received, you know, I piggyback a lot on and I praise the Lord for it. A lot of those who came before them, you know, that learned the word of God, they piggybacked on. So this is just something where brethren ought to be together. One man's accomplishment is not his own. One man's revelation of this word of God is not his own. It belongs to the church of God. It belongs to your neighbor that may have the potential to be saved, okay? So no man's accomplishment is his own. Every accomplishment is to glorify the uh, God because without our neighbors, who studied and knew the Lord, you and I wouldn't be where we are. Without the sacrifice of God giving up his son, you and I would not be where we are. Even if you were to take the world as an example, everyone loves to say, I worked hard, I got my degree, I did this, I did that, and I made it. Are you so sure about that? Because if someone didn't give you loans to be able to go to school, if someone didn't give you, you know, the time to put a shelter over you or to give you a job while you were in school, you know, then how would you have been able to even make it? So you see, even in the world, everybody's climbing on the back of someone else. Everybody's getting opportunity because of what was given to them. None of us are here on our own accord and none of us are responsible for the breath in our lungs except almighty God. That's why he deserves all the praise, all the honor, and the glory. We cannot have grace had it not been for our God. So before we decide to puff us up, we better recognize where we're from and acknowledge the creator because without them, you wouldn't be anywhere. So we can't take glory for ourselves. Look at verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So what is this telling you guys? Now we're beginning to get some understanding of the fulfillment of the law, because sin is the transgression of the law. Okay, so when we're sinners, we can't fulfill the law, but Jesus talked about hanging those two commandments on the law. But it says here that, um, you know, every man that is of Christ will purify himself like Christ purified himself. So a lot of people think that I preach a hard gospel, but the bottom line is, is this, the word of God says, unless we are like Christ, you and I will make it into the kingdom. So how do people ignore that and then get mad at me for what I'm preaching that we ought to be like? You know what the problem is? They need to be born again. They need to be, they need to forsake the world and draw closer to Christ that they cannot see in the upside down perspective, but in the right side up perspective, which is God's. So it says in verse five, and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth have not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So when we do righteousness, it's because Jesus Christ is righteous and he's given you and I part of his spirit. See, so this is why it's not good enough that we love the Lord our God with half our heart, or we love him with some of our heart, or we love him as much as something else. Because unless we give the Lord all of our heart, we will disobey God. Unless we love the Lord with all of our minds, our souls, and our strengths, you know, then we can't serve him. That's why it's important that a man becomes obedient unto God and loves him more than anything, that God has got to be preeminent above everything in our lives. Why? So you and I can walk the straight and narrow, okay? Because in many cases, we can't do that if we love something more than God. All right. So anyway, he says, uh, whosoever abideth in sin. Oh, well, where am I? Verse um, eight, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, I know the argument I'm gonna get. Some people are gonna say, well, you know, we all commit sin, you know, we gotta repent and do the things we do. But we must understand the way that Paul and all the other guys lived. Romans 8 and 14 says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's why you and I have to go through a process called sanctification. You and I have to get sanctified from all of the worldly things, all of the fleshly things that we grew up in. You know, we might not have obeyed the Lord at some point, but then we get to the place of having more obedience. We get to the place of hearing God's voice. We get to the place of feeling God's spirit. The Holy Ghost, the closer you draw to God, will prick your conscience when something isn't right, okay? Like you may say something. There are times even when I'm teaching, I may say something and the Holy Ghost will say, hey, that's flesh. You've got to step outside of that, repent, and I'll repent of it. Or I'll say, Lord, forgive me. Many times you'll hear me in the middle of a conversation 
and teaching, saying something. And then it's like the Lord just redirects me and I begin to talk about something else or make the correction. That's because the Holy Ghost is making it clear to me what God wants and what God doesn't want. You and I, if we're born again, have that safety valve which is in us, which is the Holy Ghost, which will you know grip your conscience when you're going off course. But if we ignore what the Spirit of God says, then we frustrate the grace of God because we grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, we quench the Spirit. Why the Holy Ghost doesn't stay with a lot of us? Some days you feel stronger in the Spirit than others because the Holy Ghost may be leading you and I to do a thing, but we're just too busy to hear him. So you see, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And when the Bible says in Jude 1, unto him that is able to keep you from falling, that is possible. God, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He didn't say some unrighteousness. He says, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you and I can get to the place of not sinning if we obey the spirit of God. I know a lot of people hate that doctrine and they say it's not possible. And then they'll go to chapters that tells you that there is none good, no, not one. But we must understand what they were talking about in Romans was the fact that those people did not know the Lord. Okay, when it says there is none righteous, all have fallen short of his glory, it was telling the people their need for a savior. It wasn't telling them if they had a savior that they can't be any better than that. The Bible says, as we just read in Matthew 5, be ye perfect for your father in heaven, which is perfect. If you're not sure what you should do or how you should do it, one, you should be reading God's word. Two, you should be praying before the Lord. And three, you should be waiting for an answer if God didn't give you one. That's what keeps us on the straight and narrow. Also, one of our biggest problems is the flesh. We've got to learn to subdue this flesh through fasting and prayer so that when the flesh is weak, you and I have a direct pipeline to God. Why? Because your flesh and your fleshly desires won't hinder the spirit. They will, they will lay dormant while the spirit and you are connected with God, okay? That's what the Bible means by deep, calleth unto deep. You've got to be spirit to spirit with God. So it is possible to forsake sin and to walk with God. Think about the sins you committed when you were unsaved and the ones that you no longer commit because you are saved. That's not the end of the process. The Holy Ghost will forever go with you through life taking unknown and known sins away from you that you may become a child of the highest. So let's read verse eight again. Jesus says, I mean, well, John says, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God was manifested in the flesh, or he was manifested that he might destroy destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus's uh, works were to destroy the devil's works. That's why he came in the flesh, to make you and I whole. If Jesus lived a sinless life and Christ in you is the hope of glory, then all we've got to do is go through the sanctification and the period called um, travailing in birth till Christ be formed in us. 
That's what the that's what we're going through, guys. We're birthing Christ. We're bringing forth Christ. We're subduing the flesh, just like a pregnant mother is dealing with her child, feeding the baby until it's born, that she forsakes her life for the baby's life. That's what you and I must do to have the manifestation of Jesus Christ in you. So hopefully y'all understand that. Look at verse nine. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So once Christ is birthed in you and I, we won't be committing sin. You see what I'm saying? Because sanctification is slowly cleaning us out and taking things away. Don't believe in that doctrine, guys. If the Lord says that we can be made perfect, we can be made perfect. Now, will that be the end of our work? No, because there is still a process that must come that Paul mentions, uh, like John mentions earlier in this chapter, and Paul mentions in First uh, Thessalonians, I mean, well, not First Thessalonians, First Corinthians chapter 15, that we're gonna get glorified bodies when we are raised on that last day and will look like Christ and be like Christ, that will be the finished work, okay? But you and I, if we cling to the Lord and we do what the Lord says, God is able to keep you from falling. Don't sell yourself short. If you want to be a child of the highest, believe on the words of Jesus Christ that all sin can be conquered in your life. So anyway, he says, look at verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not doth not righteousness is not of God, neither, neither he that loveth not his brother. So let's look at verse 10 again. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. That's why Jesus mentioned the corrupt trees and the good trees, okay? The corrupt trees bring forth corrupt fruit. The good trees bring forth good fruit. But then remember what he says, a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit and a good tree cannot bring forth corrupt fruit. So that tells you that the two can never go together. Look at um, James chapter three. The Bible talks about bitter waters and sweet waters. Those things are not to be so. We cannot be double-minded and double-hearted. We've got to sell out to one or the other. So then he says, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, then it says, whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that uh, loveth not his brother. But this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So as you can see, Cain killed his brother because he was evil. He didn't have good works. That's why the Lord told him, Cain, if you do well, you'll be sitting right up there with Abel. Don't get mad at brothers and sisters that have been baptized in the spirit and drawn close to the Lord. If you and I do well, we will have the same things if we so desire to be, all right? So anyway, look at verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Um, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So you see how serious the second commandment is. If you don't love your brother, 
you abide in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoso hateth this world's good, and um, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So how can you love your neighbor or love your brother when you shut up the bowels of compassion? You see that homeless man on the street. You see these people that are lacking or without, but you pretend you don't. God says, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me no meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was a stranger, you took me not in. When I was naked, you clothed me not. And he says, the same as you have done to those people, you have done to me. So our job is to love our neighbor. Read Matthew 25 in your spare time. So he says, but whoso have the world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So it's not just about you telling someone you love them. You should be able to show love, he says, because you don't do it with your tongue and you don't do it with your words, but in deeds. For God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son. He didn't just love the world and told them that, he gave. So you see, God's kingdom is a selfless kingdom where you give. That's how you show love and you preach that gospel. That's why it says in deed and in truth. That also means your heart needs to be pure. You don't give for publicity. You don't give to show that you're righteous. You give out of the love of your heart towards your neighbor. Look at verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So that's the commandment. That's the fulfillment of the first and great commandment. The first and great Believe on Jesus Christ. Love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is to love one another, okay? That's the commandment. Look at verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. So you see how that can't be done without the spirit? If you draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to you. He'll give you his heart. He'll give you his mind. He'll give you his spirit and his nature that you can walk like Christ. That's what this whole thing is about, guys. That's what we need to understand. Let's go to Romans 13 and let's look at verse one. Romans chapter 13. 
and let's look at verse one. And you guys in your spare time, because we won't have time to go there tonight, read Luke 16, 19 through 31. That's the rich man and Lazarus, remember? The rich man didn't love his neighbor. He thought he was the big man, but when he died, the very person that he passed by every day was being comforted, you know, and, and, and Abraham's bosom. And he was in hell trying to make it and survive because once you go to the grave, man, forget it. If you didn't do what God is telling you to do, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. So in your spare time, read Luke 16, 19 through 31. Right now, we're going to look at Romans 13, and let's look at verse 1. Uh, that's right. Sarah says that the Lord knew us before we were even in the mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. So why not give everything to the Lord? That's what this whole thing is about. Look at Romans 13. Let's look at verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, but there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So what is he talking about? Respecting authority in the church. Okay, look at verse two. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive in themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror uh, to good works, but to the evil. Uh, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, this is true. If we're Christians, even if it was like government or whatever we're dealing with, now, we don't hold riots against the government. We stand for the living God. But the thing is, is we probably should be praying because if the witches of this world have dominion over the government, we should be praying to God that God can give us everything that we need, okay? So we should be praying, they're our neighbors too. They're our evil, corrupt, and hateful neighbors that wanna kill us all, but we are to pray for them. They are no different than anyone else. Do we trust in them? Absolutely not. But do we pray for them and love them? Absolutely. Okay, as a church, that's what we need to do. Look at verse four. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. So when we have ministers in this world, we shouldn't be, you know, um, fighting them. Even if we disagree with some things, we can talk to them about it and tell them if they're wrong. But, you know, we shouldn't be fighting against the ministers of the God, of our Lord because you know, they watch for your soul, okay? This is not a thing about cowering down to anybody, but, you know, like I said, we're all standing on the backs of someone else that the Lord has used to reach you. So we need to have respect. Like he said, to honor your mother and your father, you should have respect and honor towards also your ministers, teachers, and pastors, and those that are out there. Why? 
because they're watching after your soul. They were ordained of the Lord to watch over your soul. All right. So he says in verse seven, render therefore to all their dues tribute and whom tribute is due, custom, uh, uh, custom to whom custom, fear, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love him, one another. Oh, I read that wrong. I'm sorry, guys. This is um, verse eight. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So now we know what Jesus said about the fulfillment of the law, that not one jot or tittle would be taken away because this was all about Jesus Christ himself, you know, being sacrificed so that you and I could have the spirit to fulfill the law. We couldn't fully love our neighbor, right? The way that Jesus loved us, unless we had the spirit of Christ, okay? So that's what he's talking about. So look at what it says in verse eight again. Oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time that now is at, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Uh, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That's a beautiful thing that we get to cast off all those wicked works in darkness, the ill towards our neighbor, the ignorance towards not knowing the Lord. He says to cast off that darkness and put on that armor of light, which is the Holy Ghost and God's righteousness. Verse 13 says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering, and wantingness, not in strife and envying. So when it says walk honestly in the day, not rioting, that's like wild partying, okay? That's like getting drunk and going to clubs. You guys know what drunkenness is? Chambering is living with someone not married, okay? And then it says wantingness, nor, not in strife and envying. It says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So if you and I put on Jesus Christ and we walk as Jesus Christ tells us to walk, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that's so important that we do that. All right, last chapter of the night, guys, I'm gonna go into, let's go to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, and we'll be done from there. One second, guys. Galatians chapter five.
Oh boy, I am so sorry about that, guys. I did not know I was going to get a knock at the door while I'm trying to do a message. It was the pizza person, but you know, I didn't order any pizza. That would have been a nice gift for the Lord for the night. So let's go to, uh, where did I say go? Uh, Galatians chapter five, guys, and we're going to conclude from there. Let's begin at verse one, Galatians five and one. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So notice how Paul is even warning these people that if you want to be a partaker of the law, the old Mosaic law, then you fall from grace. We got to understand what Jesus Christ was saying. The first and great commandment to love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, he says on those two commandments, hang all of the law and the prophets, where people get these new doctrines and they want to put mitres on their heads and talk all this Jehovah Yah and Jah and Yehuda and all this other stuff. Listen, man, God knows us spirit to spirit, not by these names that you call him so you can try and sound more spiritual, okay? You know, it's just, you don't even speak the language, but you're gonna try and say it in another language like, you know, that's supposed to bring you closer to the Lord. Our God looks at the spirit. As the Bible says, this testimony standeth sure that the Lord knows those that are his, okay? Because they will have his seal. What is his seal? The Holy Ghost. How will we know if we have the Holy Ghost? If we love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Outside of all that, we've got absolutely nothing but religious works and hearts that need to repent of their racism and hatred. Look at verse two. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So how do we get the spirit? He says, for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness, that's sanctification. And how do we get there? By faith, by believing in God, by believing in his word. And then we can fulfill what God calls us to. Look at verse six. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Okay, that's how we get somewhere, not by religious outside works and trying to keep the Mosaic law. We keep it by faith, which works 
by love. Look at verse seven. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So a little flesh, a little you, a little self in the midst, you leaven the whole lump. As we talked about in this two-part series, God is selfless. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is selfless and God's church ought to be selfless. When you add a little you, a little ideas of yours, a little flesh, things that are not of the spirit, a little of the world, you leaven, you ruin the whole lump. The whole lump falls down, all right? Anyway, look at verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that trouble you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would there, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. So notice he's taking them from the law. He's saying, brothers and sisters, you guys have been called unto liberty. So that ought to make us happy. But wait a minute, read the rest of it. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So you see, that liberty should never be just for you to enjoy what you want in the flesh. He says, by love, serve one another. How can we serve? Some people may say, I'm broke. I don't have any money. I don't have this and that. Hey, man, preach the gospel. Spend time with people. That's all people want. You know, that, that's fulfillment in the spirit. Tell them about Christ. Look at verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be consumed one of another. So to strike against your brother, guys, is to strike against yourself. See, people don't see that and understand that. They think if I go against this person that I'm in good standing. But you see, to speak against him is to speak against you. That's why he tells us not to to fight and devour one another, because if we do, we destroy ourselves. That's what the Lord is trying to bring forward to us. We've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. All right. But anyway, he says, look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So it's simple. If we walk in the spirit, guys, we can't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you won't do the old sinful things that you used to do. You're gonna fall in line with what God wants. If you spend time with God and be a partaker of what God wants, and you walk obeying the spirit of God, Paul's making it clear here to the Galatians, you cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's impossible. Look at verse 18. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. So if you and I are gonna be led under the spirit, we're not under Mosaic law. Why? Because we do what God says by nature, not by the thou, the thou shalls and thou shalt not. We do it by nature because we have partaken of the very love and nature of God. 
Anyway, he says, um, but if you be led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. This is the manifestation of the flesh, guys. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Let's look up lasciviousness. That's G766. That word is unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantingness, outrageousness, shamelessness, and insolence. So it's to pretty much be a pig. It's to live in indulgence. It's to go after all the things that you want for you. See, wanting things for you is a work of the flesh. All right. That's what he's talking about. All right. So anyway, so lasciviousness is there. Idolatry, because you're seeking for things outside of the spirit of God. Witchcraft, because you're attempting to manipulate and not obey the spirit of God. Hatred, because God is love. So anything outside of the spirit of God is hate. There are a lot of couples living together today talking about they love one another. You can't love one another while you're damning someone to hell. Okay, so if you're committing sin with them, then you are, you don't love them. You love you and what you can get from them. Okay, so anyway, variance, emulations, trying to be someone you're not. That's not of the spirit of God. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're acting in the flesh and not in the spirit, you won't inherit the kingdom. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance against such there is no law. So you see, there is no law for the fruit of the spirit. Because love, how can you tell someone how much love they should have? How can you tell someone how much joy they should have? How can you tell someone how much peace they should have? You can have peace in the midst of sorrow. You can have, I mean, you can have joy in the midst of sorrow. You can have peace in the midst of war. How long do you suffer? <laughs> you know, there is no law for that. There's no law on gentleness, on goodness, on faith, or meekness, which is humbleness. There's no law on self-control, which is temperance. So you see, there's no law when you walk in the spirit with God. You do what God calls you to do by nature. You and I can have as much Jesus Christ as we want to have, okay? The door is open. All we've got to do is seek and ask and knock, and God will give you what you desire, but it must be of his nature, okay? So we can be like Christ. If people are, are not happy with their walk, hey, I'm gonna tell you the same thing that God told Cain. Why are you wroth? Don't you realize if you do well, will you not be accepted? So you see, we've got to cease to do evil, learn to do well. And the only way we're gonna learn to do well is to spend time with God, be a partaker in his word, have his spirit imparted to us, that we can have the nature of Christ. He says, and they that are Christ, those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. 
Let us not be desirous of vainglory, not seeking your own, and to provoke one another and to envy one another. See, we ought to love our neighbor. That's what this whole thing is about. So hopefully tonight people got some understanding of what the fulfillment of the law is. It is first to love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments, our Lord Jesus Christ said to hang all the law and the prophets. So, you know, let us spend time with the Lord and become like him, that we can tell people about this Jesus, that they may have the same salvation as you. Any man that is out for self, that forsakes the assembly, that doesn't want anything to do with his brethren, man, that's not a Christian. That's not someone that loves the Lord. When you love the Lord, you are gonna pray. You are going to look out for people. You are going to preach that gospel because that's the commandment that the Lord gave. So hopefully you guys understand what part two was about, about loving your neighbor. Um, I just wanna ask people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, then repent of your sins, call out to God, ask him to forgive you of your sins, that he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, that he died for your sins 2,000 years ago, that he will cover you in his shed blood, okay, that you may have his spirit and live your life for him. But when you repent, guys, that means you turn away from it. That means the old things are passed away and, and the old and the um, all things will become new. In order for us to get away from our struggles, we've got to cast those things out. We've got to do away with them so that we can walk with the Lord. Because if our God is righteous, we can't be partakers or he can't be a partaker of unrighteousness, okay? So in order to walk with God, we've got to forsake things and give it to him, all right? But just repent, guys, if you're not saved. Cry out to God, ask him to forgive you. Ask for his gift of salvation and he will give it to you. Our God is faithful. He's just, he's fair, and he loves his people. If he didn't love us, he would not have sent his son, you know, to save us from all unrighteousness. When Jesus was on that cross, he wasn't doing it for vainglory. He thought of you and I. So we need to give the Lord all and not some that we may be with him. So I just wanna say, you know, to people out there, I love you and I pray that these words prick your heart because you see, to love your neighbor is to love the Lord. Those two go hand in hand. So I'm gonna pray out now for all those who are listening. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do and who you are and your great sacrifice that you made for your people. I pray, Lord, for all those who listen to this message, for those who couldn't listen in tonight, cover them in your blood, Lord, heal them from all unrighteousness, conform us to the image of you, Lord, that we may get a job done in you. Teach us to love our neighbor, Lord, as you say, teach us to stop looking at us, Lord, because when we, when Adam and Eve looked at themselves, that was the beginning of the fall. But if we stay connected to you, the true vine, the tree of life, the bread of life, Lord, then we will be fruitful and do those things that you say. So Lord, I pray for a fervent desire in your people's hearts 
that they come unto you, that they forsake the world, that they understand that aside from you, that they can do absolutely nothing. So I just pray for an outpouring of your spirit, Lord. I pray for an anointing on those people that are listening, those who want to serve you, Lord. I pray that you pour out with every ounce of who you are, that this world may know that you still have sons and daughters and that our Lord Jesus Christ walks in every single one of them, that you may manifest yourself, Lord, to continue to destroy the works of the devil and to set the captives free and to bind the broken hearts and to heal them that are bruised that we may preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for tonight, guys. Tomorrow, we've got a pretty good teaching called The Most Rare Breed. That's going to be at 7.30 p.m. It's called The Most Rare Breed. So hopefully you guys can tune in. Should be a very good study. You know, and I just want to say I love you all. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. If you guys want to email me, you can email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, Hallett, H-A-L-L-E-T-T, letter J at gmail.com. And I just want to say I love you all. Have a good night. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.